This is how we overcome the moving on the kingdom. Reaching to the world's arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And friends, we're glad to have you back with us around our imaginary microphones and tables and whatever mugs of beverages you might have as you listen in. Uh, We have been this summer um, taking a look recently at um, well-known or favorite uh, hymn texts and where they get their rooting in the scriptures from. And sometimes we've talked about how a hymn or Christmas carol even is drawn right exactly right out of a Bible story or passage. And it's easy to spot and how sometimes those are a little more um, polyvalent or come from multiple sources. We've taken a look at beloved Christmas carols like Go Tell It on the Mountain. uh, And we've taken a look at um, other hymns as well along the way. Where are we going to go today? Well, today we're going to take a look at a hymn that I don't think is as well known as the previous three hymns have been, because it's still a fairly new hymn in our hymnals. Mm-hmm. Um, this hymn is has only recently appeared in a brand new ELCA hymnal resource, which is called All Creation Sings. It was only published like what, three years ago, maybe? Four years ago, maybe, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like this hymnal was put together as a supplement to our like big, like everyday hymnal. Uh, But it is full of liturgies and hymns that are really recent, like have only been written within the past like 30 or so years. Like they really wanted recent hymns in it. So this hymn is Death Be Never Last, which is a, a... hymn which i think is especially relevant to all saints sunday but also funerals and really anytime that you are feeling grief it is a hymn of hope and assurance and it is just absolutely beautiful i think um it's been one of my favorite hymns now for the past two years um but it's still really new so it's still you know introducing it to congregations because it's beautiful yeah it's funny how sometimes you might hear a song for the first time and like it's almost like love at first sight it's like that oh my goodness this is gonna be a favorite and sometimes it grabs you and sometimes you're like oh i know other people who are gonna love this i just have to introduce it to them can you could you introduce at least a little bit of it to us give us a feel for what is it that that grabs you Sure. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not comfortable doing that without (laughs) instruments with me. Um, But I will at least share with you the first verse in the refrain. Um, So the first verse is, we walk in light of countless faces, bright as beams of rising sun, certain as the morning chases, night and endless ages run. And then the refrain that goes um, after each verse says, Turning eyes now to their shining memory, to their faithful past, saints be now the truth divining, death be now, but never last. And I think it's especially that last line of the refrain, death be now, but never last, um, to me just like really speaks to that reality that death is part of our everyday life, but we are Mm -hmm. trusting that death does not get the final word. And so that the death that we are experiencing now and that we are grieving isn't forever, that we're going to someday be reunited with all of our loved ones again. 
it's it's beautiful too the way the tension is explored even in just the verse you shared with us that even though clearly it's like staring face down the reality of death in the present moment that verse all talks about like our connection to those who've gone before us so that their faces are the light that we bask in even now so it's that imagery of uh, that you know the off the church uses the language of the communion of saints for that we're connected even to those who've gone forth that great cloud of witnesses kind of imagery out of uh, out of Hebrews so that we can say yeah they're not with us but in another sense they are with us and that death doesn't get the last word either that all those things are all at once yes um, you know, you, you had mentioned being introduced to this just uh, recently, and I guess I'm wondering, before we dig a little bit more into where this comes from in the scriptures or what scriptural passages might stand behind this, I'm curious about how do you go about introducing a new song, especially in moments when hearts are tender? Because you mentioned, like, this seems like it is so helpfully written to address times of deep, deep grief, and yet that's exactly the time people so often turn to Let's go to the old favorites because I know Amazing Grace by heart or how great they are by by heart. How do you how do you handle that? So in in my case, especially with this hymn, since it was so recent, uh, recently, I can't remember exactly how I introduced it. And the first step to me was getting my director of music on board. And so and he, he's so good at picking out hymns like he's amazing. Um, and it was one of those. I think I heard this song on a YouTube video that was shared in a Facebook group of pastors. Um, They shared it on the Monday before All Saints. And it was like, hey, for your consideration, this is a brand new uh, hymn that's in the new hymnal. It's for All Saints. It's beautiful. Take a listen. And I loved it. And so I sent that YouTube video to my music director, knowing that like in the next 12 hours, he was going to be picking out hymns for Sunday. And it was a little bit like, I don't know what you have planned. And I'm sure that whatever you have planned is going to be beautiful and fantastic and will fit the day really well. Please consider this. Please consider this. I would really like to have this be like a cornerstone of my sermon. So if we could have this be the hymn of the day, um, that would be great. And so I think what he did was he had it be the prelude that Sunday. So like, as people were coming in and sitting down and finding their seats, he was playing it so that the melody that it would be familiar to people. And then I, because I had found it on Monday and it was a big part of my sermon, like, cause it was all saints. And I thought that it fit really well. My sermon was kind of about it and mm-hmm. like quoted it and like shared bits and pieces of it. And then we sang it on, um, for the, um, for the hymn of the day. Mm-hmm. And that's not always how we do it. Like if we have more lead time, uh, it would have been something more like the choir would have sung it. It would have been the prelude and postlude or the communion hymn. Like there would have been other opportunities to like hear it or mm-hmm. sing it, or at least have the choir know it. Mm-hmm. Um, but since there was so little lead time, cause I found it Monday before Sunday, mm-hmm. like uh, it, we, we had a shortened time with it. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's helpful. That's a reminder that um, 
just because something is new doesn't mean it can't become a new favorite that you know future us will need in a time of grief or crisis but part of how you do that is you introduce it not at a funeral you don't suggest that somebody's family funeral hey i got this great new hymn but like using moments where we sort of corporately deal with grief even if there's not an immediate death right in the room but when there's this remembrance of those who've gone before us um that's a way of helping familiarize and making it safe to oh okay yeah, i'm learning it and then there may come a point when yeah what was that hymn that we learned yeah i remember the tune and it becomes something that people reach for in other times yeah and and again i think having a really good director of music is often really helpful because he was able to play it in such a way that it was a lot more singable like um you know there's some hymns that the melody almost seems lost in amongst all of the chords and mm. all of the flourishes and and again it's very pretty and you can do that with well-known hymns and people know it and can still find the melody but um, there are also ways to play things where the melody is really loud and really easy to find. And so my director of music usually tries to make sure that that is front and center in brand new hymns. So that way you can find your notes, you can sing it. And that's often just a practical, really nice thing that he does. Yeah, that's that's a real gift of people who understand the role of church musicians is less about performance as soloist and more about you're there to help equip everybody to sing and that means sometimes you pull back on the flourishes that you could do if you were just given a concert or in you know, a prelude or something sometimes is yeah here i'm going to do all the flourishes but to see the 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 role of church leader of, of music and of worship is how do i help equip everybody else to do their work to be able to sing yeah so can I ask, how how do you see this particular text, either what you've quoted for us or other verses, coming out of the scriptures? What what places do you see echoes or or drawing from particular scripture passages? I, I'm, I'm struck by the first line of, we walk in light of countless faces. And I know of, um, it, it, it makes me think of two different things. Uh, the first is a line in Revelation chapter 9, um, where it says in appearance, the locusts were like horses equipped for battle on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. And like, mostly I just, it, it, it there's something about it that strikes me of similarities because they're like lots of faces. Um, and that's also what Sundays and seasons are great resource tells us it's like, it's supposed to bring being connected, but it also makes me think of Oh, is it Hebrews where it's um a great cloud of witnesses mm -hmm. and yeah. like less so because it's not like saying great cloud of witnesses, but I think that's what it's alluding to, right? Oh, is yeah. mm -hmm. The great cloud of witnesses is what leads us and guides us and is supporting us. And, you know, here we walk in light of countless faces. Yeah. 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 Um, it It's, Again, interesting how like the, the way that the writer of Hebrews uses the imagery of that great cloud of witnesses is like, here we are living our lives now, still in the struggle, still running the race. But there are those who've gone before us who are like, you know, cheering us along at the sidelines. And that that sort of speaks to that tension of we're still in the struggle. We might miss those who've gone before, but it's not that they're not paying attention. They're cheering us on. They're they're all around us. So that that, that tension that's there in the scriptures is certainly there in this in this uh, hymn text. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the the 
climax of the refrain, that death be now but never last line, to me that feels very, very much like the language out of uh, a favorite chapter of yours, I believe, Revelation 21, <laughs> um, where yes. it talks about in that new creation, here are the things that won't be mm-hmm. there anymore. There's no mourning or crying or pain or death. The first things have passed away. So even though, as you know, the book of Revelation is being written to people in the first century or in the present moment, living through struggle and sorrow and pain and death. It's that reality. Yep. It, it exists now, but it won't be forever. It won't get the last word. So even without there needing to be a direct exact quote, you get the sense of it's doing the same thing that Revelation 21 does. And earlier in the refrain, when it talks about, you know, turning their eyes now to the shiny memory, to their faithful past, again, goes that right around that same passage from Hebrews, um, more so the hall of fame that comes right before that of the great cloud of witnesses and how, you know, the, the writer of Hebrews recalls all the things, not just the names of the great saints, but what they've done. Yeah. And, you know, and that's something I think that we try to do. I try to do with yeah. all saints is like, you know, bring in maybe stories that I've, I've heard of the saints that have passed in the last year and reminded people like, you know, these are the things that we are striving to do in honor and memory of those who have passed. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, um, there's a line I came across, oh, just the last couple of weeks, a, a quote of uh, Stanley Hauerwas's that says something like, if Christianity could be reducible to a message, we wouldn't need the church. And mm-hmm. the, the idea that like, while we do have a sacred text at the center of things, like we don't just say, mail people Bibles and say, see you in heaven, but that to be a part of the Christian experience is to be connected to this community and that there are some parts of the Christian faith and life that are not reducible to words on a page, but a life that's lived. And that that doesn't mean you have to exactly copy what one person or another has done. It's like there's a million key signatures you could play that tune in, but um, it, it's something that's evident in lives rather than just in memorize this mm-hmm. verse or learn this theological treatise or principle or something. Um, I, I got to say, I think the recovery of that important part of our theology is such an important thing for us Protestants, because for so long, there's been such an allergy among some Protestant circles of we don't do the same thing. That's too Catholic, you know, because mm-hmm. of the fear of you're going to turn it into you got to be a superhero in order to be a Christian, or if you're not good enough, you got to borrow the merit of the super saints. Um, and we ended up with sort of this lack in our faith of here's the principles to memorize. You're on your own. Good luck. See you in heaven. Rather than we're a part of this wider team, this this you know great cloud of, of people who have lived in different ways. And look, it looked different for Abraham and Sarah than it did for Moses and Miriam and also 21st century people as well. And everybody in between. That's such an important part of our faith um, that we we often uh, don't talk about or aren't good at, at naming. This might get at, too, um, I mean, you talked originally, Sarah, about introducing this to your congregation in the setting of All Saints. And we've talked before on this podcast about that day in the church's year as a way of trying to set apart and say, like, it's not that there's a like a VIP club of superheroes, but like all of us are. But we all have these stories. I guess I'm, I'm wondering um, what's in the in, in this moment in time in 21st century America what's the value in having people have an appreciation for that theology, that idea of being connected to people who've gone before us in the faith? Why is that important? Or is it just the church nerds who are like, don't forget this holiday? No, no, I definitely think it's important. Um, 
because I think for one, like I'm a Lutheran. So it's, it feels important to me because as Lutherans, we tend to really emphasize that we are all saints and sinners. Mm-hmm. And so like for, for our theology, it is definitely, we, we mark and remember the saints who have died in the previous years or occasionally, like I like to do like not every year, but like occasionally, almost like a year of Jubilee, remember all of the saints who have helped us in our faith journeys, whether living or dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's also, I think, a good time to remember all those who have been baptized or who have recommitted their lives to to following God um, that, that past year. So it's not just remembering those who have died, but also those who are living um, and remembering that they're saints too. You're a saint too. You're also a sinner, <laughs> but you're also a saint. And that's not because of anything you've done, but everything because of God. Yeah. Um, and it's also, I think, just a really good, especially remembering those who have died. I think it's really important for the church as a community to come together and to recognize grief. Because mm-hmm. grief is sometimes such an isolating thing. And it just, you know, especially if you're grieving somebody who is in your immediate family or a partner, uh, you know, sometimes that especially can feel just so isolating because like the first couple of weeks, everyone's there, like nobody leaves you alone. And then all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. And you're left to your own devices to try to figure out how to keep moving forward. Um, and so it's a, it's a great moment though, to like recognize that you're not alone in your grief. Here are all of these other people mm-hmm. who are also grieving losses. And so, yeah, I think all saints is just really important. Yeah. Yeah. And so the ability to look at that, that moment in the church of life, not just about death, but about that reality of the communal experience of death and hope of resurrection means that we need to find new hymns, new texts that help us see it from different angles. Um, and, and I guess I, I, I think it's helpful then for us to take a moment like this to make the case and say, well, your hymnal already has How Great Thou Art and For All the Saints You Don't Need Anymore. <laughs> no, we, we keep needing new texts. Um, I, I remember I had a professor in college um, who was sort of for a moment addressing those Christian traditions that only ever sing the psalms and or you know uh uh, settings of the psalms and they would do so they would say because uh the only thing that's you know uh divinely inspired from scripture is the the psalms so we don't write our own uh text and my professor was saying like but the the psalms themselves say things like sing a new song because god keeps doing new stuff or we need Mm -hmm. new angles to talk about what god is doing so the scriptures themselves say we keep needing to write new songs new poetry um and how often it is the individual perspective of one person that then they write what they're going through or process it in the words of a hymn text that then becomes something that corporately everybody can adopt. And if I'm remembering right, you shared before we started recording, there might be some of that backstory for this text. Yeah, yeah. So the hymn writer for this hymn is, uh, and Steve, you're going to need to help me. It's Ray McIver. Ray McIver. Yeah. Um, he wrote this in the early 90s uh, or it was published in the like and it copyrighted in the early 90s following the death of his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
definitely was written at a period where he himself was grieving. And I think that that is especially reflected in verses two and three. Um, uh, and he said that the words clicked in place in a dream after she had mm. died. So like, it was very much like he was grieving and he woke up one morning and like this hymn was just on the tip of his tongue. Um, but like the second verse is very grief focused of, you know, I'm just going to read it. It's yeah. when sorrow's heavy hand has weighted loss against the greater game, pinning down that grief sore faded laden on the bed of pain. Right. So verse two, the middle verse is very like heavy sorrow, grief. Mm -hmm. And then the third verse is when joy returns with laughter singing, thanks to God for life's sweet song. Let us follow after bringing thanks to God for those now gone. You know, it lifts back up and yeah. like is gives a voice of like, yeah, grief is here, but there are going to be days yeah. where grief is going to be less heavy, where yeah. you will feel laughter again. And you know, throughout all of that, throughout the grief, throughout the joy afterwards, God is with you. Yeah, it's it's so helpful. I mean, not only to take a look at how one person's experience then can become corporate song, but how the this hymn text itself walks us through that journey that many people talk about going through in grief and not to paint with too broad a brushstroke or make it too linear like you go through six months of sad and then you're up to happy and that's how it goes. But like, there's a lot of back and forth and there's days when you're getting over it and then you go, nope, I'm not getting over it anymore. You feel like you've, you know, mm -hmm. slid two steps back for every step forward. But that notion of, as he writes it, there's going to be people who are singing and they're finding themselves in that second verse and all they can feel is sorrow's heavy hand. And to hear in the third verse, but somebody else's experience is this, this isn't the end. And the last line of the refrain, death won't be last. That, okay, this is where I am now, but I won't be here forever. And that then others who are going to be singing that song have been in that low place. And then like, but I'm feeling like I'm coming out of it. And yeah, this is true. What the song is saying is true. To me, it's a reminder of why, not to, to get on this soapbox, but like, it's often right or salutary or appropriate to sing all the verses of a hymn, especially if the hymn has a particular trajectory to it. And if you leave it like mm -hmm. with part of the story untold, it feels like, well, wait a second, you left me in the wilderness there. You <laughs> left me there, you know, in sorrow's heavy load. Um, and this is definitely one of those where the journey is, is coming by going through all the verses. Yes. This would not be a good hymn to skip any of the verses. <laughs> Right. And it's not that long. So like it's only three verses and they're pretty short. So just just sing them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I was thinking as you were describing how he came through the experience of processing the grief of his own wife's passing. Um, it reminded me of uh, that other well-known hymn, uh, When Peace Like a River, or It Is mm. Well With My Soul. And the, the the story behind that as well, if I remember, is that the hymn writer as well had lost family members, maybe children, maybe a spouse, maybe both, in an, uh, a loss at sea, a shipwreck at sea. And so he's dealing with that grief as well. And so when he writes words like, when sorrows like sea billows roll, uh, he's coming through the experience of he's had that loss. But I know so many people who find such value and comfort in that particular song um, and may not may not even know the backstory, may not even know the person who wrote it had come through so much, but found those words were helpful for them. And I, so I, I guess it's, it's a reminder to me 
how often that's the case that when you're when you're going through grief you can feel so isolated and it can feel like i'm the only one who's ever been here or i'm i'm the only one who's ever felt like this and when you process that and put words to it sometimes other people go no that's exactly what i i didn't have the words for it but that's what i feel like and how things can then be sort of corporately owned as yeah we're we may not all be exactly feeling this today but we need this cuz sometimes we are feeling like like that i i love how you put that of sometimes we don't have the words for things and then when other people find the words for us sometimes that is so liberating and i think that that's especially why it's so important to have hymn writers um i think it's also important to have people who are willing to write prayers yeah i know um in some traditions that's very um not the thing because that feels very stale or rehearsed or too polished and that's not what prayer should be. But I think sometimes, you know, even with prayer, we don't always have the words ourselves. And so somebody else being able to give us some words is sometimes just tremendously helpful. Yeah, yeah. I I guess I think like how often we are borrowing words at important moments of our lives that aren't churchy Mm -hmm. either, right? So you think about like how much of, um, the language in, in a court proceeding is kind of like a script, you know, uh, do you promise, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? You don't have to invent your own oath. Here's an oath, say it so that now we know you're telling the truth, right? Or wedding vows or things like that. There's certain things that are like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Let's start here, especially in moments that are important and otherwise we'd be scrambling for words and moments that are really, really emotional. Sometimes we feel like, I, I, I don't know where to even begin. So yeah, to say it's okay to be borrowing words I mean, and again, honestly, like that's so much what um, the scriptures do, like the the book of Psalms in the Bible. Most of those started out as individual prayers or maybe small group kind of setting things. A handful of them were written for corporate worship on the way to Jerusalem. But even there, you're talking groups of pilgrims, you know, at a time. But then they become owned corporately by all of ancient Israel or by the corporate people of God today. So I may not literally feel like bulls of Bashan are surrounding me and that they're casting lots of my clothing, but I can borrow that language and that imagery and go, I know what it's like to feel God forsaken. And sometimes borrowing those words reminds me I'm not the only one who's ever been here before. Um, And that the hope that the psalmist might find in the midst of lament could be my hope as well. And I think sometimes it reminds me too, when I'm having a great day, somebody else's heart is breaking. And instead of walking in like, everybody need to be smiley because I'm having a good day. We need to you know, constantly be mindful of different hearts are in different places anytime we gather. Um, and the, the, the ability to sing a, uh, somebody else's song and own it together, whether it's a new hymn or an ancient psalm, that's really valuable. It helps pull me out of making myself the center and to go, maybe somebody else needed these words today. I guess I think that's part of the value of why we sing or share words together in our worship week in and week out as well. Why that's a feature that hasn't gone away in all these millennia uh, is that reminder of um, whatever you bring today, there's other people who are meeting you in a different place. And so it's not just the pastor decrees based on what he or she is feeling on any given day, but like, where's everybody else going to be on this day? What else is going on in their mind that we need to be mindful of singing this song or we need to hear these words or that kind of thing, or what's going to be especially a a tender spot on this day. Anything else you wanted us to know or to mention about this song, Sarah? 
It's a great hymn. If your congregation hasn't sung it yet, I encourage you to give it to your pastor and or music director. So again, Deaf Be Never Laugh by yep. Ray McKeever. Yep. And it is found in the ELCA hymnal, All Creation Sings. Fantastic. Well, uh, we're going to share with you some more hymns and some scripture that uh, has prompted them or inspired them. Next time we gather around the imaginary table with our imaginary drinks, next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. <laughs> See y'all. Bye. Bye.